Let's pray and we just ask that the Holy Spirit will help me to speak well and help you to hear well. Lord, we thank you for uh, just an opportunity to gather around you, to look at you together. And what happens when we do that? We thank you that you make your presence known among us. We thank you that we find our head gets lifted. Thank you for the joy and the encouragement that comes. Thank you just for the encouragement of fellowship. Thank you for your word, Lord. And as we look at your word now, we thank you, Lord. We say, I just say, Lord, I know it's alive. Don't let me kill it, Lord. I know it's alive as it stands. So I pray, oh God, that you would help me to communicate it in a way, Lord, that lets it live and lets, lets your word do what you want it to do. I pray for those that listen. Lord, I pray you deliver them from just an academic approach, Lord God, but that you would open their hearts to what you want to say. You would open their hearts to what you want to do, Lord, and that life change would come. We thank you, Lord, that when we know you, we can expect regular life change. And I pray, Lord, let this be one of those times in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started this uh, six-week series on worship, and the whole idea is to break out of the mentality that two hours on a Sunday is worship, but to really get into the heart of what worship is and what true worship is about. And we're contending for four things. Number one, that we're made to worship. That written into our core consciousness, if you like, is a program, if you like, to worship. Um, that we can't get away from, and even those who would um, completely deny the existence of God still find themselves worshipping but something else. We're made to worship. Number two, um, that true worship is 24-7. You can't switch it on and off. It's about your desires. It's about what you long for. It's about what you think about when you're not thinking about anything. Okay, it's about the things that really grab you. Your eyes light up and someone gets you on the subject and you're off. That's the thing that you worship. Thirdly, who we worship is the key. That discovering the right object for your worship is the difference between life and death. And finally, that a way has been made for us to be restored to true worship. And they're the things we're contending for through this series. We're looking at, we looked at speech last week. Uh, this week today, we're looking at time as worship. Next week, sex. Week after work, week after food. And um, so last week, just to recap quick, very quickly on speech, we looked at how we are made in the image of God. And just as God, through words, created uh, the universe, likewise, through our words, we can bring life or we can destroy, we can kill, we can, because we're made in the image of God. We looked at how um, what we say determines the very direction of our lives. We can look at where our life is at and trace back things we have said or things we haven't said which will help uh, understand how we've got where we are. That speech causes a lot of the damage that we see around us and careless words. And also the, the way we talk indicates our devotion or lack of. So it's very, I found, personally challenging. Um, but today, time, slightly more abstract, but I think you'll see as we get into it, it's very, very practical. How many people today feel there's no rest? I come across it all the time. <laughs> How many feel there's no rhythm? It's just, there's no rhythm. I'm running from this thing to that thing. So, so many people that, even pastorally, you come across in discipleship, stressed out, worn out, and very often it comes down to something as practical as time. How many just feel there's no centre anymore? In multitudes, thousands seek out this sense of rhythm and rest through yogic meditation or a Buddhist chanting or those from the old school 
uh, a fortnight in the Mediterranean. <laughs> but different ways to try and restore a sense of rhythm and a sense of perspective and a sense of, okay, this isn't just frantic, isn't just crazy, I'm not feeling like I'm driving myself into the ground. I feel in London especially, you feel like you're busy even when you're not, because there's just a whirlwind that's surrounding you. So even when you're not busy, you're just kind of caught up in this. I'm really, really busy. And you look at your timetable, you're not doing anything. You think, I don't understand this. So there's some dynamics there we need to just be aware of. Um, others think maybe a move to the countryside will sort things out. All of these things are cosmetic. <coughs> They're superficial. It's not, that they, it's not that they can't help at all. I'm sure there's some benefit um, in breathing well, although I do not think there's benefit in yoga, but that's a different sermon. Um, uh, there's, 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 there's benefit in two weeks in the Mediterranean. And if anyone wants to just, you know, uh, you know help my family to do that, then I will, I'm not going to despise that because there's a benefit in it. No, there's benefits in these things. But you, you can't just jump from one to the next and be frantic in the middle. That's not how we were created. That's not how we're supposed to live. That's not a worshipful life. We need to go back to creation for the answers because um, we need to understand what am I? So much of the time, we, we, we're, we're one or two or three steps ahead. We should be back, ask the question, what am I? Have a biblical anthropology, an understanding of what I am biblically. That will show me how to live. Um, only this can really work deeply into us. So let's go back to the beginning. In the creation narrative, we find a rhythm. Very, very clearly. Um, we, we find also that God chose to create a universe that was a space and time universe, even to just consider that. Didn't have to. Space and time are God's creation. He created the concepts. He's not subject to them, they're subject to him. But he created things this way. He's not limited by them in any way. In a Genesis account, we see the progression of seven days and the orderly development of creation over those periods of time. Now, from this and other scriptures, I want to share seven insights with you concerning the importance of time. It'll only be about 20 minutes per insight, so, they will, so there's only going to be two hours and twenty. So it's, not, it's going to be okay. No, we're going to be about five minutes on each. Firstly, we find this rhythm in the creation story. What you want to call it a six and one. This is important. These are explicit clues in the narrative here. Um, we see six days of work and one day of rest. Now, just to say, we are not under the Jewish mosaic um, Sabbath observation. Jesus Christ is the, sub, is the that's the shadow, he's the substance. He's fulfilled that. So we are not under that. So you don't go to um, various books in the Old Testament to discover how we are to observe the Sabbath. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. We realise and learn through Jesus that the, we weren't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us. It's made for our benefit. And yet it's not the Mosaic thing with all the particular legislation, but what we find is there's a creation ordinance, there's a generic Sabbath, if you like written into creation. God created for six days and then rested on the seventh. Now, it wasn't that he needed to. He wasn't tired. What, what then? It's, he's modelling something for us. It's very, very important. Um, I call it a six and one. It's very easy to remember that way. It's just a six, you're doing your six and one. Let's read on our first uh, PowerPoint from Genesis um, chapter two. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's a very densely packed sentence. And in a short sentence, says the same thing three times, making a, making a very important point. God rested from the work that he had done. He wants us to realise that. Because it's actually quite unusual. He didn't need to. 
wasn't like he was drained. <laughs> He's infinite. Never gets drained. The Lord does not grow tired or weary. Isaiah 40. He wasn't like, oh man, I need to put my feet up. No, he, it was easy. He just spoke it. He just spoke it and the power of the words of the infinite one just created the whole thing. But then on the seventh day he rested. Why? To model something for you and for me. How frantic we often are. What does it produce? I think often just a lot of stress. How different from the life of abiding in Christ, the life of God's rest. (coughs) I think we need to work out our spiritual rest in practical ways and part of God's creation ordinance, we should have a day in the week that is different from the other six. It needs to be different. Not necessarily in activity. For some people, that just just stresses them out. Some, Some people can't sit still for ten minutes. So, it doesn't, so it's not inactivity, but it's something that recharges you, something that replenishes you. Now, for those who work shifts, for housewives, for people who work intensely on projects, I know this is not straightforward. So please don't take this in a legalistic kind of a way. I'm aware of that. God's aware of that. And there are seasons where you think this is almost impossible. But there's a principle of rhythmic rest that you need to work into your life as best you can. It's one thing to be under certain constraints for a season or something's come up, understood. There's grace for that. But to neglect this principle is folly. And it will take its toll on you and you will become worn out, stressed out and freaked out when you're not even busy. Because you're just not being wise with your time. If you want to function as God intends. Be wise. Be wise. Stop yourself doing certain things. Do not allow yourself to check your inbox at certain times. Switch your phone off. I know, did he just say that? Yes. But what if? What if? End of the day, God's sovereign, hey? Put it on silent for a day. It's fun. Now, if you're not a believer, you need to take a whole step back here at this point. Taking a day of rest a week will not bring what's needed for you. It's much more fundamental than that. There's a whole position of rest in God that you need to come into. The position of giving up your own efforts at making yourself right with God, at trying to come to some kind of spiritual nirvana by doing this or by doing that, it will never work. So for you, the most important thing is that you find your rest in God's free gift of eternal life and forgiveness. That's true rest. That's profound and deep rest. That's, that's, that's what you need to attend to, right? that's of most, utmost importance. But once that's established, then you can obviously work these things through. But please, if you're here, you're not born again, you don't know the Lord, don't just say, oh, okay, right, we'll do the six and one and it'll be fine. No, it won't. It won't. You need to just get your relationship with God right first through putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So point number one, to rest in Christ and to rest rhythmically in life is to worship God. Amen. he's preaching it in London and there's some rows in the audience (laughs) secondly God's creation develops over time we see a development over time in the creation story Okay, first the light, then the sky then the land it's a development (coughs) now this works in the big creation but it works in the small in our individual lives as well look at Jesus, if we look at Luke chapter 2 verse 22 Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and with man. Do you want to know the most 
the most stunning thing about that verse there? It is all we have about Jesus' life between the age of 12 and 30. There you will find nothing in Matthew, nothing in Mark, nothing in John. That's all we got. But 18 years, the majority of Jesus' life, there it is. He grew. He increased over time. But look, in a fourfold way. Firstly, in wisdom. Internally, he grew to understand life, understand people, understand how life works. He, he, there was an increase. We didn't just, oh, well, he was Jesus, he knew it. No, no, he increased. Secondly, stature. He grew physically. Thirdly, favour with God. He grew spiritually. He learned how to please his father. He learned obedience. We're told in Hebrews, he learned obedience through the three things that he suffered. So the hardships that he went to, he learned how to obey God. And fourthly, favour with man. He grew socially. He learned how to build friendships. He learned how to relate to people and be seen as someone of standing and someone who was respected. Jesus grew in this way. That's all we've got about Jesus' life. But we know about Jesus, don't we? He's the last Adam. He's the true man. You want to know what a human should look like? looks like Jesus. What did he do? He grew over time. The Lord created you to develop and grow over time. It's written in you and it glorifies him. When he redeemed you, when he saved you, he's got you back on course. Yeah? You've been re-established into God's purpose. He's got you on course now. Now you can grow as you should grow. You are not to remain immature. That's the point. And I think, why, why, why even say that? I'll tell you why, because it's seen as cool to be immature. It's seen as cool to be a perpetual kid. It's like, oh, they're so cool. You know what? They just, they just totally shun responsibility. They're the coolest thing around. I wish I could be like that. It's not cool. It's completely immature and babyish and sad. And it is completely unworshipful to God. He wants you to grow. You're not to remain children. You're not to be perpetual victims of arrested development emotionally, arrested development intellectually, arrested development socially. You're not to hide away from other people. Do you hide from people? Are you, are you captive to the same fears around people that you were two or three years ago? The Lord wants you to grow through these things, to face up to your fears, to come through. He, he will give you all you need to do so, but you need to engage yourself because over time, he wants you to grow as Jesus grew. See, it's not automatic. Advancement in years does not guarantee maturity. Some people make the same mistakes year after year after year and you just think this is... You meet a 60-year-old and you talk to him, you think, it's like talking to a 12-year-old. It's tragic. It's tragic, but it happens. Time, for them, has not accomplished what it should. Because we've got to work with God. You've got to work with him. It doesn't just happen. People who don't never learn to listen. They never learn to listen in conversation. And so people stop talking to them. Because when they talk to them, they know that the other person's not listening. Their eyes are all over the place and they just say stuff that shows they haven't listened. And they wonder why they just become increasingly lonely in Ireland. They haven't learned. You're supposed to learn over time. Don't learn from mistakes. Never say sorry and repent and grow. But just, oh, I'll be alright, it'll figure itself out. No, it won't. It won't. God wants you to grow over time. Listen to the writer of the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this. For though by this time... You ought to be teachers. 
You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's saying, you should be on the hard stuff now. You should be on the meat. You need milk. You should be teaching others and you need to be taught all over again. We don't want the Lord to say that to us, do we, as a congregation? You should be growing up now. I tell you, you are. You are growing up. I am. We all are together. It's fun, isn't it? It's enjoyable. We are. We are. There's so many pitfalls of immaturity that we don't fall into and I thank God, I do, I thank him but let's keep growing let's keep growing over time time offers us opportunity to grow, that we can move forward that we can take in more and learn more that we can become bolder, that we can become more disciplined, that we can become more able to wait on God in prayer more theologically astute, wiser in relationships with others, more consistent to remain a perpetual child is reprehensible biblically, you mustn't do it So why does that happen sometimes? Why do people sometimes remain like that? They don't yield to Jesus. Instead they find their refuge in their fears and their refuge in their insecurities. It feels safer to cling to what they know than to step out and trust Jesus. We all experience a temptation to do that. But we've got to break through and grow so that we can become mature. It's God's plan to transfer us out of Adam into Christ and then make us look like Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The idea here is as we go on looking to Christ, yielding to him, bit by bit over time we become more like him. So to grow and develop in Christ-likeness over time is to worship God. Thirdly, you must realise that time is vital. By this I mean there are certain things only time can produce. You can't fast track everything. If you are like me, you want to fast track everything. Anyone like anyone prone to just being too fast at everything they do? It just right, okay, listen, doesn't work. Stop. I feel like I'm only just learning this. Maybe it's an age thing, I don't know. We're gonna look at that in a minute. But you cannot just push everything through. Just just put it push it through. No. You will take shortcuts. Shortcuts sometimes work. In traffic. They rarely work in life. They rarely, rarely work in life. You want a mature marriage? It takes time. You want good standing in your community? It takes time. You want good friendships? Friendships that will stay the course? It takes time. You want to bear fruit? It takes time. John 15, let's read this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does abide mean? Remain. That's time talk. That's a time talk word, isn't it? Remain. Stay. It takes time. We all want the quick fix, don't we? The perfect body in six weeks. You've seen those adverts? Perfect body. Abs. Abs in six weeks, for goodness sake. I can do ribs in ten seconds. But abs in six weeks. The best tan in 10 minutes. Best tan in 10. You lie on this thing, you're going to come out looking bronze. 10 minutes. It's all like, back, 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 come on, we can do this, we can get this. That's not how life works. It's crazy, it's folly. It doesn't work like that. Real fruit, lasting fruit, is a result of remaining in Christ over a period of time. Now, I don't mean you just sit in your bedroom for 10 years and, oh, suddenly I've got good standing in my community. You have to do more than that. There has to be some kind of action. You have to work with time, okay? So it's not just time and just activity. It's activity, but with an understanding that this is going to take time. I'm not going to just get... See, here's another one I'm terrible at. and It manifests itself in different ways. For me, it's books. 
I've recently had to repent of the fact that I'm reading about 15 books at a time. What's so wrong about that? I don't finish any of them. I just start another one. I've stopped starting all new books now until I finish the ones I've got through. And I said, joy. But it's symptomatic of my life. I'm like that on many other things. I mean, it's crazy. There's, there's half-finished jobs everywhere. And I don't even realise. I don't even notice. So Davina says, could you fill the dishwasher? No problem. So I put two dishes in and I put a spoon in and the spoon will remind me of something. I think, oh yeah, and I'll go and... <laughs> Something to do with spoons, you know. Oh, there's that spoon that he's polishing, you know. So you start polishing it, and then you polish. Oh, that would be great to polish that too. So you go upstairs, so that spoon's half polished, you're polishing your desk, and the dishwasher's half filled. It's in the house, it just, it's like a trowel behind me. Because it's like, but, but, but. And a part of it is my mind, God's made me that way. Okay, there's a quick thing that's, that's good in there. But part of it is a character flaw. I just can't give myself to see things through. Bad. Bad, so I'm working it through, and it's actually really, really fun to finish stuff. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow. I loaded a whole dishwasher, you know. <laughs> but um, at this point, if you are not following Christ, but you're considering the claims of Jesus, you're looking into Christianity, while it is good to be thorough and to be considered, I would also warn you against procrastination. Because that's where time can work against you. Some people, they're opposite to me, they're always procrastinating. Why else putting it off? I just want to say, don't go down that road. There comes a point where you have to get out of the boat like Peter did and walk on the water. There comes a point. You'll never get all your questions answered. Christianity stands up to scrutiny on every level, scientific, biological, chemical, on every level. But you can't actually prove the existence of God. You can't. It stands up under scrutiny, absolutely. But God, most of the time, will not submit to your demands for him to reveal himself in the way you want him to. There comes a point where you come to know him on your knees. And I would just say, do not procrastinate for years because it's just another day of futility every day you don't do it because you were made for him. You were made to know him. And as long as you're outside of him, I say this with respect because I'm sure there are good things in one sense that you're doing, but on another level it's time-wasting because you're not doing the thing that you were chiefly created for, which is to glorify him through all that you do. So it's futile. So, to allow time to do what only time can do without kicking against God is to worship God. Fourthly, there's seasons, and seasons are to be enjoyed. We're not to live hourglass lifestyles, counting down the months and the years, when's the next season coming? That's crazy, it's folly, it's disastrous. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there's a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what's planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I want to make a comment on seasons of life. Now this is a massive generalisation. For some of you this will not be true, but it just will help you. Okay, it will help you. If you're under 25, you are in a foundation laying season of life. What is primarily happening is this, your character is being formed. Primarily. Your values, your character. Now, of course if you become a Christian when you're 30, and it's different because God is, God is going to relay the foundation 
and totally renew your mind so you have a biblical and a kingdom worldview, and then you'll be 30. So please, this is adjustable, but I'm just giving a rough sense. If you're 25 to 35, I'd say you're in a course-setting season of life. The main thing that's happening is that your life direction is being established. You're working out where's this thing going. If you're 35 to 60, again, just rough, I'd say you're in a fruit-bearing season of life. The main thing that's happening is you're bearing much lasting fruit. You've put the work in. You've got good at what you do. You've worked out that you're doing it for the glory of Christ, and now you're bearing fruit. If you're 60 plus, you're in a fruit-enjoying season of life. The main thing that happens is you're enjoying, enjoying the fruit of your labours. Maybe it's kids or grandkids or just other people that you've invested in and you're seeing the results of what you put into them and it's a joy. There's seasons. And so many young people get so worked up, I'm not bearing much fruit. Just let God deal with you. Just let God deal with you. It's all right. It's okay. Don't panic. Remain and you'll bear much fruit. All these things are affected by when you become a Christian, unexpected traumas which take years to work through, years of backsliding or plateauing which just hold things up. So it's not rigid, but it's just a sense to give you a feel. There are seasons. Be at peace about the season you're in and max it out so that everything the Lord wants for you in your current season can be worked into you so that you're fully prepared for whatever season comes next. Peter puts it succinctly in his first letter. He says this, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper he may exalt you. He's got a time for you. When he's going to raise you up. When he's going to fulfil the promises he's given to you. There's a time in it. Just, get, just go under. Be at peace. He's got it for you. So to, dis- to discern and embrace the season God has you in is to worship God. Fifthly, we're to use time well because it can't be recaptured. You can't recapture it. How foolish we are on this one. How much time is squandered? I dread to think. Listen to Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best of the... Because the days are evil. This context is about walking in the light, not participating in darkness, not giving yourself to sexual immorality, whether it's sex with yourself, sex with imaginary people, sex with people you're not married to, we're going to go on into that next week. That is fruitless deeds of darkness. Don't be doing that. You're in the light now. Use your time well. Don't give yourself to greed... Filthy talk, stupid talk, folly. Don't do it. Waste of time. We're told to redeem or ransom or buy back the time. It's ironic because that's what you can't do. It's ironic, isn't it? But it's almost saying, look, up to now, you've lived a futile life. Now you're saved. Make up for it. Do stuff that's going to count for eternity. And the following verses speak about being filled with the Spirit, singing spiritual songs and hymns and psalms to one another, practicing for heaven. Filling our mind with spiritual truth. That's a good use of your time. Never stand here singing to the Lord and thinking to yourself, I could be mowing my lawn. Should have mowed your lawn on a lawn mowing day. <laughs> and not been polishing spoons. You know? You should do the things you should be doing. But when you're here and you sing, I say, oh, it's beautiful. Such a good use of your time. Colossians 4 verse 5 says this, should come up on the screen. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the... Here it says how you are with, with outsiders. People want to see your life. They want to see it's different. And the conversations about spiritual things. Use the time well. 
Take opportunities to speak of Jesus. Don't waste moments. There was a man called Jonathan Edwards, a theologian. When he was in his early 20s, he made 70 resolutions, and he pretty much lived by all of them. Let me read some of them to you. They're very challenging. Resolution number one, resolved. Never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number two, resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Number three, resolve to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Four, resolve to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. It's good to be around people with bars that high because it's it's a lot of low bars around, you know. You can feel that you're really spiritual, you know, oh, I'm better than that. But it's the issues of the bar, it's down there. Just to, just, oh, to see these giants. People who, after their death, influenced for centuries. Tell you what, that's, that's so in, that's invested in the eternity in the kingdom. It's glorious. To redeem our time and use it for the glory of Christ is, is to worship God. Sixthly, we are accountable to, to God for what we do with our time. When we become Christians, we're no longer our own. You don't belong to yourself. If you're a believer, you're not yours. And I think this is a massive one for us. You know, we're constantly told it's your life. Well, it's not if you're a believer. And you need to come to terms with that. It just isn't. You're not your own anymore. We've seen the folly of laying claim to our lives, haven't we? As if they was our own. We've seen it. We've, we've seen the folly, the futility it leads to. We've forsaken autonomy. We've chosen to live in dependence and in, on and in relationship with our Creator. And as such, our time is not our own, but it's his. Listen to Jonathan Edwards again. Resolved, never, never, henceforward, till I die, to act as if I were my own, but entirely and altogether God's. Let me read that again. That is so precious. Resolved, never, henceforward, till I die, to act as if I was in any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. Consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. He says this on the screen. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Listen to Peter up on the screen. The time is past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That time's past. You've done all that. Now you've seen the light. Now you've woken up to the futility of the cyclical life spiralling down and down, ending up in hell. You've seen it. It's futility. It offers much and delivers nothing. You've seen Jesus. The time is past for giving yourself to that, even in deed or in longing. Kill it. You've seen the glory. You've had eternity, the kingdom, revealed to you. That time is gone. Listen to what James says in James 4 verse 14. What is your life? You're a mist. It appears for a little time and then you vanish. You're just a mist. Life is so short and I tell you, it gets quicker the older you get. Years used to be long things. I don't even know how old I am anymore. The kids ask me, oh, I don't know, 30 something. I just, you, it just goes just quick. It's weird. Now if you're studying for exams, life seems long. I know that. If you're up at night at 3am and you can't get to sleep, life can seem painfully long. But when you get old and you look back, you think, where did that go? You do not want to find yourself in a position where your energy is decreased and your faculties are not what they were and suddenly you realise you did not max it out for Jesus. You don't want to do that. I want to keep you from that kind of regret because that is deep and that will lead to immense resentment and bitterness. Use the time. Redeem the time. (coughs) 
To order your time in light of the fact that you are not your own is to worship God. And finally, in the grand story of history, in the grand narrative, we have been born in a certain point of the story and we need to be aware of what that point is. You need to, we've done a lot of stuff on individual life, living well, but now you need to step back. Where am I in the story? Well, 2 Corinthians tells us, Behold, now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. We live in an amazing period between the first and second coming of Christ where it's God's desire to call all men to salvation. It's the favourable time. It's the day of salvation. After the day of salvation comes the day of judgement. At that point, salvation can no longer be granted. Let's use the time. I don't continue to Bible bash people or full stuff down people, but please tell people about Jesus. Don't rob people. Don't rob people of the opportunity to hear of Christ. It's the favourable time. It's a, it's a season of mercy and patience in the heart of God. Even Peter, I love that bit in 2 Peter where he says, many will scoff and mock and say, when's, the, when, when's he going to come back? It's just the same as it's always been. People say it even now. Peter says, don't you see it's God's patience. He wants none to perish. He could come back now, but he waits. Why? Because he wants to draw people to himself. How so? How so through the saints? Just saying that Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. It hasn't got to be rocket science, but enough to just, God's at work. People will be born again. Revelation 12, verse 12 says this. Woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Satan is incredibly active on the planet. He's incredibly intelligent, which is why he doesn't run around in a red suit with a pitchfork. His favourite lies that he doesn't exist. But he is extremely active in deception, in seduction, in accusation. His main operating ground is in the mind. His time, he knows his time is short. He knows he can't win. He knows Christ has won. He knows his time is short. So he's doing all he can to rob, to kill, to destroy, to bring destruction in the lives of people until his time's up. If you don't know the Lord, you're in his kingdom. I'm not calling you a Satan worshipper. Okay? But the Bible says you're either in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. You need to escape that kingdom. Come to Christ. Only Jesus can rescue you from that place. If you're a believer, he knows he can't drag you back into his kingdom, but he will do all he can to stunt your growth, to tempt you, to attack and accuse you in your mind. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. And finally, Revelation 22, verse 10. And he, that's the angel, said to me, that's John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near, the time of fulfilment. Jesus is coming soon. In the plan of God, that could be a week, it could be a millennium. But it's soon, the time is near. When John received the revelation, sometimes when the prophets would receive a revelation, they would seal it up. God would say, it's not for now. The angel says, no, don't seal it up, because the time is near. People need to know this stuff. People need to know what he's going. Discern where you're at in the story. The Bible describes us as those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Soon Jesus will return. And life as we know it will change forever. And a new heavens and a new earth will be ushered in. And everyone who's ever lived, great and small, will stand before the throne and be judged. Understand that that urgency catch in your spirit to understand your moment in history and to act accordingly is to worship God. Time is precious, guys. Very, 
very precious. I will recap by reading out the seven headlines, just so you are clear. Number one, to rest in Christ and to rest rhythmically in life is to worship God. I've lost the notes. <laughs> ah, here we go. Number two, to grow and develop in Christ-likeness over time is to worship God. Number three, to allow time to do what only time can do without kicking against God is to worship God. Next, to redeem our time and use it for the glory of Christ is to worship God. Next, to order your time in light of the fact that you are not your own is to worship God. To discern and embrace the season God has you in is to worship God. To understand your moment in history and to act accordingly is to worship God. I want to urge you to be wise, please. It may be just one of those seven things the Holy Spirit has pierced your heart. Act. Apply. Use it. Because the Bible says that when you act on it, you're blessed. It's not enough to just hear the word. We're going to take the bread and the wine. And in it all, we're going to be in awe of the fact that the, the, the situation we find ourselves in, that we can actually live to the glory of God, is all because of what Jesus has done. Amen? I mean, even to just be in this place where we're working out, how can we live to the glory of God? Well, you know, Jesus has made a way through his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. So we're going to take the bread and take the wine as we sing these songs. If you don't know the Lord, but you're thinking, look, I want to do, I want to make the transfer. I want to be in the kingdom of light. Come and take the bread. Come and take the wine. as an act of faith. I want to follow Christ. Then come and talk to me or someone you came with and we'll pray with you. But please do this. If you're a believer, then come and encounter Christ through this, what's called the Lord's Supper. Encounter him. Not just a memorial. We're remembering him, but a memorial is something you do over a dead person. He's alive. Just encounter Jesus through the bread and through the wine. Let me also encourage you guys. I'm going to keep pushing on this until I bore myself with it. Spiritual gifts. As we gather to worship. Some of you will be, you just, you'll feel you want to bring a tongue. And some of you say, I won't, because what if no one brings interpretation? That's not your problem. Number one, it's the Holy Spirit. Number two, it's mine as the overseer of the meeting. Just do it. Okay? Don't get all complicated. What if I'm making it up? We'll get over it. I'd much rather people fell forward than backwards. I think it's so much easier to work with. You've got prophecy to bring? Bring it, please. We're getting really good at praying out, giving thanks and reading the scriptures. That's great. But we need the supernatural as well, don't we? Those God speaking and being quick and we need that. So just come bring it. Songs, songs over people, individuals, songs for the congregation, come and bring them, come and bring them. Let's be on the front foot. Because again, we haven't got loads and loads of time. And um, so don't just wait for a big flurry at the end. Let's just be on the front foot from the start, giving all that we can to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Should we stand? Band are going to come back.